Welcome to the State of the Lakers presented by Dash Radio. Happy Thursday, everybody. It's been a very important week in Lakerland. We have somebody returning. <laughs> and that would be our friend and co-host, Raj. How you doing, buddy? How was your trip to Vegas? It was good. It was too long. Uh, like I was telling you, five days in Vegas is way too long. After the third day, you're kind of ready to come back home. So, you know, nice, nice sleep in your own bed. Uh, back to your own place, uh, be able to have, you know, your own breakfast and stuff like that. It was, it was nice, but how are you, man? How are you doing? I'm doing very good. It is good to have you back. We have a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about this Anthony Davis and bead battle, um, because I thought it was super interesting and fascinating. And as a basketball fan, it was kind of the type of matchup that you live for. Um, that said, I wanted to start, you know, kind of talking about the game in general, you know, I thought the Lakers should have been able to 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 give this one a run for even without LeBron. I thought this was a winnable game. Why? Because the Sixers have overachieved, overachieved a bit. They don't have a ton of talent in their backcourt. They're leaning on their version of THT and Tyrese Maxey, who's a, a better player than THT right now, but another young, inconsistent type of guard. And Tobias Harris has not shot the ball well this year and, and mm-hmm. has not been super consistent. And he's been the in talks as a contract the uh, the Sixers are trying to get off of, but there's this Embiid factor and him obviously playing super well, but I thought that this was a winnable game. So I'm a little disappointed. You and I had talked in the, te- in the text messages about how the Lakers didn't quite appro- uh, approach the game with the right amount of a, a belief, you know, you know, and yeah. just a handful of sequences in the game where you could tell they let go of the rope because they just didn't think they could win. And that became unfortunate because then when they tried to make runs later in the game, um, they weren't able to sustain anything enough. But I think the main driving force behind this, and this is something we've talked about a lot on the show, is the Lakers are a brute force offense. They depend heavily on matchups. They depend on LeBron and Anthony Davis and their ability to compromise the defense, which then gets the defense in rotation, and then guys can capitalize off of that, right? That's kind of their formula. Mm-hmm. So they're not great with offensive sets. They don't run super sophisticated actions. They're not the team that's going to run down the floor and set 15 screens and a bunch of flares and high, you know, like really complicated pick and rolls. It's, it's pretty basic stuff. And so when you take a LeBron James out of the equation, all of a sudden the basic stuff doesn't work as well, you know, because you just don't have that initial advantage creation. And I thought our offense struggled a lot tonight and led to a bunch of poor jump shots, which then led to runouts where the Sixers were so comfortable in transition. Even Embiid is just so comfortable bringing the ball up the floor and making moves. And I thought that's kind of where the wheels came off tonight. What was your take on that? Yeah, you know, like when you, whenever LeBron sits out, you kind of move people up a position. You know, you, bring Russell, you put Russell Westbrook more in a creation mode. I thought, you know, going to, into this game that Malik Monk and Avery Bradley starting was just too small. And I thought that kind of played out as the game went on. Tobias Harris got comfortable, even Korkmaz. And then uh, we and we doubled Embiid on the catch a lot. I didn't really like that as a scheme. I understood it. I would have liked to see Anthony Davis get a little bit more of a one-on-one defense on him. I thought he did okay uh, in that matchup. Embiid, again, is a brute force. That's just a tough guy to stay off the rim. But I thought Anthony Davis did a pretty good job. But when Dwight was in the game, we just doubled on the catch, which I didn't really understand that. Yep. I didn't really understand if you're going to play Dwight Howard. At least, you know, make Embiid work for some of those possessions, especially doubling one pass away. We just weren't connected tonight. And the belief, again, I thought wasn't there. A lot of bobbled passes. I thought Malik Monk really struggled early. I think he had, like, he was like one for five to start a bunch of bu- uh, 
bobbled balls in the in the lane when he tried to attack. So I thought there was a lot of just belief lacking there. But Anthony Davis being the story, I thought he was amazing. But yeah, our scheme against Embiid really didn't make a lot of sense. Embiid got to the line. Uh, but Anthony Davis matched him. Like, if you can get AD to match Embiid, and I think he even outplayed him tonight, that should have probably been enough. I just thought we didn't defend well enough. We didn't get enough shooting. I think I tweeted out Anthony Davis, I think, was like 14 for 13 for 19, and the rest of the team was like 14 for 46 at one point, which is about, oh, man. Which, is about which is about 30%. And then if you add Russ in there, I think Russ was like 5 for 11. So if you take those two, the rest of the team really hit like six or seven shots, and the game was pretty much over, and uh, Philly was able to take over. Man, this would have been a great one. I was so disappointed when I saw LeBron was out because I thought this is some. This is a game we could have built on, and I feel like if LeBron played, you get this Anthony Davis type of production. I thought we could have won tonight, but we just weren't there. Didn't defend well enough. The you know still the Carmelo Dwight Howard lineups are still too wonky for me, especially defensively. Philly continued to attack Carmelo. He he hit a few jump shots, but I think that's just a tough thing to stay up on. And again, Malik Monk, Avery Bradley played too many minutes together. Um, that lineup is just too small against a team like you know, Philly, even when. You talk about all the time how these contests aren't really contests. Danny Green was contested, I guess, four or five times. He still hit three threes because it's like Avery Bradley getting a handout to him and stuff like that. So I thought that's where we lost the game. But Anthony Davis, man, incredible. Incredible. We'll get into him. But the game I thought was lost by doubling and beat too much. And uh, Philly hit shots and we didn't from tonight. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up that having to do with uh, uh you know, uh, LeBron coming out in the continuity. Cause that was one of my big takeaways when I saw that today, I was like, okay, so LeBron's knee is sore. You're thinking about a back to back here. So is Anthony Davis going to play both ends of the back to back? Cause uh, the continuity is the number one thing that's missing here. I don't need to see any more of what a LeBron with AD off lineup might look like. I don't need to see any more of what an AD on with LeBron off lineup might look like. We just, we've seen, Mm -hmm. we've seen so much of that this year, you know, typically in a regular season, like back in 2020, you might be like, Oh, AD's off tonight. LeBron's off tomorrow. We got a chance to win both games and we can kind of tinker with, no, we don't need to tinker with lineups anymore. We need our guys out there. That's what actually Mm -hmm. needs to happen. And so I hope AD goes tomorrow and I hope, LeBron goes tomorrow because if it ends up being one of those things where LeBron's like, Oh, my knee's fine. But then AD takes the night off. That's going to be frustrating. Cause then we basically accomplish nothing in this back to back. But that remains to be seen. I I'm really glad you pointed out that thing with doubling. Cause that's a super fascinating ba- uh, basketball concept that is, uh, you know, seems simple, but really isn't right. Like it seems simple. Just send two guys to the ball and then you make the guy pass out of it. Right. But mm-hmm. if it's do- when it's done well, it's effective when it's done in a sloppy way, teams will make you pay nonstop. And so like what you were saying, I thought was super interesting. They were doubling one pass away, but then they weren't recovering to that first pass. And so it was just a a quick outlet to that first guy and then swing, swing shot or swing attack, closeout shot. And it wasn't, they weren't making anything difficult on Embiid. The way you're supposed to do that kind of double is you immediately cover that first pass away. You understand when you double that you're going to give away a pass, but you need to give away the furthest pass. Why? So that if you apply ball pressure on Embiid and you can force him to throw something loopy, like with a lot of arc on it, or God forbid you tip the pass, if you can do something along those lines to make that pass slow, then you can recover. 
because it's all the way across the floor and it's easy to rotate out of it. But when you make it easy for them to pass out, it's just immediately just, you know, pass, pass, swing, swing, drive, and it's over. You know what I mean? And so that's an important detail. And I agree with you, like make it, make Embiid earn it, earn the right to get those double teams, especially with matchups with AD and Dwight. Like I get it when it's like, okay, we got Stanley Johnson on a switch here. We We need to scram him out of it. You know, I get that. But like, Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard, they can at least make Embiid earn his baskets. And this is the key here. Stagnation. Something we talk about all the time, Raj. Like a possession where Embiid takes 14 seconds to stare down Dwight Howard and score over the top of him is kind of a win for the defense. Yes, it results in points on the scoreboard, but it slows things down. All of the other defenders on the floor are standing still, so they get to rest if he does miss, it usually leads to a run out because guys are loaded up and ready to run any sort of isolation possession that is usually uh, the best possible possession that a defense can uh, give up. So my thing is I'm, I'm with you. I would have in, if that matchup, uh, like, especially in the Western conference, it's more of like a Jokic kind of thing, but I don't think we'll see him beat in the finals, but same thing goes with, you know, uh, a Giannis type of matchup too. Like, Make a guy earn that. Then if it becomes, if it gets to the point where he's in such a groove where he's burning you every time, then yeah, then that's when you make that adjustment. But the hard doubles early in the game, unless you're dealing with someone like Anthony Davis, who's just such a bad passer that like you can throw him out of the game entirely. I just don't really like that strategy. Um, mm-hmm. But like just in general, uh, uh, it seemed to me tonight that it, the, the Lakers didn't approach the game with the right amount of belief. I thought it was a winnable game, and so that was unfortunate. Yeah, I felt the same way. You could tell from the role players as well. It felt like once LeBron was out, the belief was gone. But going back to your doubles, we doubled one pass away, right? It was just too easy. Philly eventually adjusted. They had Korkmaz throwing the entry pass. So it was basically the entry pass goes in, Taylor Horn Tucker drops down, Carmelo Anthony is the guy that's supposed to rotate over, he's just too slow and it's an open three for him. We had Matisse Thybulle throw it in and Russell Westbrook was really bad at this tonight, like he would double right away off the cutter and that's like a cardinal sin, right? In basketball you don't double off the cutter, Matisse Thybulle throws it in, he cuts, Westbrook just leaves him and he got to lay up a few times. So I didn't like the scheme, I think like, you know, in a seven game series that type of stuff will be cleaned up and those are things that, you know, I think we need to be coaching game to game. I think we're like a game under 500 now and again, if Anthony Davis wasn't just incredible, I think he had like 25 points or something at halftime. Could have been worse. This yeah, this game's <laughs> probably over by the first quarter. AD was just amazing and this is the AD that won the Lakers the damn title, right? And I guess we'll move on to him but yeah, just didn't like the schemes I guess against Embiid and, you know, don't take anything away from Embiid. Embiid is a freaking monster. He's playing like one of the best players in the world. Maybe the best player in the game right now carrying this Philly team. Philly also has a max guy that's just decided not to play this season. So uh, Embiid doing what he's doing is super impressive. Uh, we, we, we came into this game deciding to double him. And I think that was unfortunate. I wish we kind of let the game decide that, like you said, right? Let the game decide that you double Joel Embiid. You don't just go in and you instantly double him every time. That's too easy. And Joel Embiid's also not a great passer. I think that's one of his, you know, worst quote-unquote skill sets is his playmaking. Uh, we just made it too easy for him tonight. And maybe that's just a function of what the game was uh, that they wanted to do. Didn't want AD, I guess, having to, you know, bang with Embiid uh, for a full game, him just coming back from injury and all that. AD, again, went down with the wrist. I'm glad he was able to finish finish the game. It wasn't too serious. Uh, but yeah, I didn't like this game again against uh, Joel Embiid. Could have uh, could have mixed it up a little bit, but that's just what. And Philly again hit all their 
all their threes against us. It didn't take Anthony Davis long to have a run back to the locker room and his return to the Lakers did it. <laughs> yeah, no, man. Has us, has us holding our heart every single game, every oh. single time, man. So the, the actual matchup between Embiid and Anthony Davis is super interesting to me because they're basically mm-hmm. completely different players. I think that's a very important detail here. Like I know it's being portrayed as like this classic battle between two dominant big men. And don't get me wrong, they are, but they both represent two completely different eras of NBA basketball. And, you know, more or less, they're both completely ill-equipped to guard each other, which I think is why they both had so much offensive success against each other. We saw mm-hmm. this a lot in, in the 2020 season. Uh, actually, it might have been, tw- yeah, it was, it was last year, uh, in the game where they lost at Philly when Tobias Harris made the game winner. In, in that game, Anthony Davis had the most success against Embiid when he stayed kind of a little bit disconnected from his body, like a little bit further off, you know, and made Embiid try to drive into his length where he was struggling to find angles to finish. And in that game last season, when AD was attached to Embiid's body, it played into Embiid's physicality advantage. Cause it's crazy when you watch Embiid and Anthony Davis staying next to each other, and mm-hmm. he makes Anthony Davis look small. <laughs> like, like he's a massive human being, a massive he, human. He being. is a massive human being. And so when you get physically attached to the guy who has the physical advantage, it's so easy for him to do a quick pivot or that little like in, imperceptible, you know, chicken wing that never gets called, you know, that little elbow to, to throw the guy out. You can do so many more, you know, physical bully ball types of actions when you're connected. And so Anthony Davis, I thought struggled early in the game with trying to figure out that right distance. Uh, but over the course of the game, he had some success blocking a few shots and things like that. But then on the other end of the floor, Embiid just couldn't stay in front of Anthony Davis's foot speed. And yeah. Anthony Davis was able to get plenty of separation, both going to the basket and getting to his jump shot. He had a really funky shot chart. If you look at Anthony Davis's shot chart, Everything he took on the left side of the floor from 15 to 20 feet was money. And then everything he took in the middle of the floor on the right side was off, which is just one of those weird things with basketball. You'll never be able to understand it. That's why these analytics people that work for these teams have these sorts of shot charts handy so that they can look and go like, hey, like, let's try to get AD more touches over here because this is where he's more comfortable over here. He seems to struggle more. But just in general, I really like to see. That was the most confident I've seen Anthony Davis offensively in literally since the bubble. I can't think of, you know, I'll take that back. I, there was one game against Phoenix at the end of the season last year, right before LeBron came back where he looked this confident going to his jump shot, but it's been rare. It's been rare to see that uh, since the bubble. And so one of my biggest wishes was hopefully over this time that he's rehabbing, he'll just be repping out jump shots by himself in a gym and maybe he'll be able to recover some of that confidence. And he, I think he went one for two on jump shots uh, the other night, and then he made a bunch more tonight. So we're obviously small sample size still, but good progress for Anthony Davis in the sense that he seems to be regaining some of his perimeter form. Yeah. He's regaining his mobility. Like this is the best I've seen him move. He had two plays tonight where like, I think only him and maybe like Giannis are able to do it. Where like Joel Embiid did a step back jumper and he blocked it. You know what I mean? Embiid shoots mm-hmm. it from the top of his head, and Embiid's already, you know, seven foot tall. You put the ball over his head. Anthony Davis blocked that one. I think he had another one. Embiid tried to do, like, a turnaround, and he blocked that one. Just seeing, you know, Anthony Davis move like this. This is a defensive player. We need back-to-back games with four blocks, so eight ga- eight blocks in two games. Um, I think he's only had – he had four blocks this 
whole season in terms of games. So it's just cool to see him kind of move his feet. He looks like he lost a little bit of weight too. Looks a little like he's bit, lighter. Yeah. yeah, it looks like he's lighter on his feet. And that means a lot for a player like him. And, you know, the gap from, and we, you know, we do these, you do these player rankings and stuff like that. I'm not as much into those, but the gap from AD as a top 10 to 15 player to a top five player is wide, right? That's a huge gap yeah. uh, from what he was playing this from the regular season to start this year to what he looked like these last two. And even in that first game, I thought against the Nets, his offense wasn't there, but his defense to me was incredible. He looked like the second best player on the floor with eight points uh, for that whole game. So he, he looks good, man. And tonight just looked like he's moving well. If the jumper is real, I'm not sure if it's going to hit like tonight, but it just looks smooth. He looked confident with it. Um, he had a step back game going as well. He had a few jumpers behind the backboard. Uh, they gave him some isolations in against Embiid, and you're right. He's able to attack Embiid with his speed, with his handles, get by him, step back jumpers. He just looked good. If this is the AD that we can pair with LeBron, man, we're cooking. Uh, this is the this. <laughs> I always say there's a good team in here that revolves a lot around AD looking like this, and, and LeBron coming back to where he was playing. But he looked he looked incredible. That big man matchup was fun. I think Embiid again is playing like one of the best players in the world, and I think AD outplayed him tonight if you get this ad that should get you that gets you some margin of error for the rest of the roster here which i'm sure we'll get to but ad looked great man i hope you know this is a continuation i hope there's no setbacks i hope he's able to continue to play and he plays tomorrow we can finally get another game with the big three uh they have 16 games together on the season i believe and then now they're like at 200 something minutes where 80s at center so we need to get those minutes up man we need to get some more reps here and, and continue to build this would have been a nice win if lebron would have played but AD looked incredible. His movement was there. You know, he was he's running a lot more pick and roll, a lot more dribble handoffs. We saw him running actions with Malik Monk, and and it looks like he's getting comfortable. That second unit, did you see that, Jason? I had that in my notes. I thought that was really fun. We had AD, Stanley, uh, Reeves, and Monk, and I think that's just a super like bouncy second unit. That yeah, young. Youthful yeah, exuberance is my phrase that I always use. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like that kind of stuff rubs off, not on just LeBron, but AD as well. You see him jump for lobs and stuff like that. Um, He got a bunch of, like, tip dunks. How many tip dunks does he have on this season? I think he had, like, three tonight. Uh, how many tip dunks does he, like, have on the season? Two-hand tip many. dunks. Where he, yeah, where he catches it above the above the rim. Like, it's just cool to see him look like he get his legs back. Rolling and, and crashing, Raj. Rolling and crashing. Something you haven't seen a lot from him lately. <laughs> Not at all. So it, it's great to see. Again, especially against a guy like Embiid, who I think we both agree is one of the best just post defenders. Just a guy who can, you know, defend the rim and defend big. So... It's cool to see him have this type of game and hopefully he picks it up in Charlotte tomorrow. Yep. No, I a hundred percent agree. And you know, it's you and I were joking around in the text thread. We were like, the Lakers don't have a ton of belief right now, but <laughs> right. Raj and I, we have some belief right now. And and the reason why is because AD looks better than he had like tonight. Offensively is probably one of his better games of the season. Right. In terms of just the, not, not necessarily the end result, but just the way he looked in terms of his quickness He's not quite as quick as he was in the 2020 bubble, but he certainly looks quicker than he did the previous you know, season. So there's that progress. And then you have this LeBron progress. And, you know, one of the big mm-hmm. things here is it's, a, it's building blocks. It's no different than when you're building a roster in the offseason and you're looking at your situation. You're going, OK, I've got LeBron James here. That's a huge building block. OK, how good is he still? Is he top five? Is he top 10? Like those are the kinds of questions we were asking ourselves after the title, right? It was like, okay, you know, what's it going to be like moving forward? How good? Okay. Well, LeBron still is very much in the conversation for the best basketball player alive. That's a very Mm -hmm. good building block to go with. Then we look at Anthony Davis and it was like, okay, it used to be that LeBron and AD to the top four or five players in the world. We have this awesome 
you know, formula that's guaranteed to win, but then he declined and was hovering in that different range. And again, regardless of what you want to say about player rankings, like forget about player rankings. He just wasn't as good. Like he just, Anthony Davis was not as good as at basketball since the bubble, you know, as he was when he was in the bubble. It's that's not, I don't even think that's up for debate, Raj. Like that was like, like in in game six of the finals, he literally had one of the most dominant defensive performances we've ever seen in conjunction with him shooting like Kevin Durant. And since then he's declined defensively, mostly because of effort, I think, and health, but then he also just hasn't been able to shoot the ball. So he hasn't been the same guy. If he becomes a better basketball player, that's the same as trading for more talent. You're infusing talent into the roster. So if Anthony Davis starts to come around, if what we're seeing from tonight is real and not just a blip, but rather a trend, then that's when we start talking again about how the Lakers have a talent advantage in a lot of these matchups. Cause now we're talking about LeBron James, you know, top four or five player in the world and Anthony Davis, top seven, eight player in the world. That's just a lot to handle for anybody. And then from there, that's when we can start looking at the building blocks. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but it's like, that's where the Stanley Johnson and the Austin Reeves become important factors because when this team was struggling early in the season, those two guys just weren't playing. So, I mean, it's a different type, you know, I I hate using the word reset because, you know, it's a famous Bill Parcells quote. You're, you're, you are what your record says you are. And I don't want to sit here and just undercut and pretend like none of that stuff never happened. That said, like all just about everybody playing in the rotation now is different than what we were using early in the year. And the LeBron and AD we're getting now, they're just better players than the LeBron and AD that started the season. Yeah, for sure. And that's the most important part of the season and all this stuff, all the loudness about Russell Westbrook. And that's, you know, the stuff that still has to be figured out. I think he's starting to figure out his role. I think tonight it was uplifted, obviously, with LeBron out. You're going to put more possessions in his hands, a lot more responsibility on him. But, you know, AD has to be this type of player for this team to go anywhere. I think LeBron has kind of showed that he's still that guy uh, from the beginning of the season. The jumper looks get, looks there. LeBron has turned into a full-time screener, you know, ball mover kind of off the ball, uh, running screen actions with Malik Monk and stuff like that. And AD has talked about it too, how he wants to move less in isolation, more in ball screen action as well. I think you're seeing that, again, running triple hands off with Malik Monk. And defensively, man, this team missed him like crazy. Like, we talk a lot about offense, and that's mostly what we discussed with the Russell Westbrook fit. But we needed Anthony Davis uh, to be there defensively. He takes away pick and rolls in a way none of our other bigs can do. And he did that again tonight on a lot of possessions. Uh, we ran a little bit of a drop coverage, and he was able to guard, like, Tobias Harris and take away Joel and beat at the rim. And that's just stuff none of our bigs can do. And when you see him, like, juxtaposed with, like, Dwight Howard— Right, because Dwight Howard uh, played some minutes tonight. You just see the difference. Like we were running, our center lineup was LeBron James and Dwight Howard for so long, and then you see Anthony Davis out there being able to move, block shots. It's jarring to look at. Yeah, it jumps off the page, right? And you can take that for granted. And we just talked about how AD wasn't himself, and he wasn't on both ends, right? Offensively and defensively, there were plays where you know he wasn't as engaged for full games. And we can put whatever context we want into that COVID season, short off season, not wanting to be injured, yada yada. But it was just there, and you see these. Last two games, I thought he was engaged. And, you know, Philly's a tough matchup with Embiid having to bang against him. But I thought, again, against Brooklyn, against tonight, I thought, you know, he gave them a a chance to win. And that's all you can ask for 
Dwight Howard, you know, looks <laughs> looked a lot looks a lot slower when you're playing Anthony Davis minutes. Right, mm-hmm. you don't notice it as much uh, until AD gets back. You just see the mobility difference, and then DeAndre Jordan, you can forget about it, right? <laughs> so, oh my goodness! Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> so you just talk about you just talked about the rotation, man. It's flipped so much, right? When AD went out, we still had DJ in the lineup. Uh, I think Wayne Ellington was really, in the yeah, rotation. Yeah, really, really, really quickly, Raj. Rondo was playing minutes. Baysmore oh, was playing minutes. DeAndre Jordan was playing minutes. Wayne Ellington was consistently in the rotation. All of those guys are just completely not being played anymore. It's a different yeah, team. Yeah, it looks like the – and the hook is a lot quicker, right? Trevor Reza got three games, and uh, we realize his legs are just not under him. And mm-hmm. maybe, you know, we give him a few weeks off to go find them. Well, no, who knows if he'll find them, but I think, you know, that's the better case than whatever we were getting from him. He just was moving in slow motion. So you're seeing the rotation kind of flip. Austin Reeves has jumped. All those guys you just mentioned, I tweeted before, Austin Reeves has jumped all those guys. Went from undrafted to jumping four guys we signed to think to be in the rotation at least a bit. <laughs> whatever you think of Wayne Ellington, whatever you think of Kent Bazemore, you know, those guys are supposed to be NBA players for us. And Reeves has jumped all of them. Uh, Stanley Johnson, the 10 gay guy, is starting now. We kind of move into him. I think he did in more minutes tonight. He played 25 minutes to me, which isn't enough for a team that just lacks athleticism and pop when LeBron's out. Uh, we still have a shortness of wings. So I thought he should have played more. But yeah, this is a totally different team, man. And it looks like AD and LeBron kind of play better next to the young guys. It doesn't that's not really what it should be. You're supposed to, it should have been more veteran, I guess, savvy next to them. But that's just not how the how the season has played out. So we'll see how it goes going forward. But getting this AD back, I think, is the most important thing for the season. And hopefully this is something that continues going forward. Yeah, it's funny. It, it throughout LeBron's career, he's always been dependent on this experience. This I would rather have a player who I can count yeah. on to, you know, understand what it takes to win big pivotal basketball games rather than the young player who doesn't understand those things. But as it turned out, as we got into this season, their biggest shortcoming had to do with consistent energy. So actually, ironically, it became, we need youth. And as a result of that, you know, there had to be this awkward transition of start, starting to slowly move these older unenthused players out of the rotation to these guys that were playing with desperation and desperation was the key there, right? Because guys uh-huh. like guys like Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, they're literally playing for their NBA careers. Like Stanley was going 10 day to 10 day. And it was like, is this going to be the time? Am I going to get to solidify my spot in the league or is it going to be, right. here we go to the G league again. And that, that desperation fueled that consistent effort. And that ironically, and like, this is the thing, the stars weren't playing hard, Raj, like, like in the 2020 season, LeBron yeah. and AD had this mutual accountability with each other and they fed off of that with each other to push each other on a night to night basis to play hard to start this season. And you can, you can blame them. You can blame the scheming. You can blame spacing. You can blame Frank and then just getting sick of his voice. I don't know how you want to describe it, but they got to the point where they just weren't playing hard that consistently. And I think some of that energy from the younger players on the roster just became contagious. And I think that in conjunction with the urgency of the situation and where they were in the standings got them to finally start to dial it up and start to take things more seriously. Yeah, no, I agree. And it looks like that's what it's going to be. I think the young guys are just going to get more and more minutes. I think AD playing 34 minutes tonight is great. Like it looks like he got his legs under him, but let's we're, we're going to go toward this youth movement. Right. And I think that's the plan now. Ken Basemore can't even get minutes, man. I think that's 
absolutely insane. I would like to see him get another chance. But all those guys we signed, it just looks like they're going to be taken out of the rotation. Wayne Ellington, Trevor Reza, I'm not sure he'll be back. I think DeAndre Jordan is done for the team. I don't think he's going to be in the rotation. Avery Bradley's like the last surviving, <laughs> last survivor of that, right? Like it looks like Avery Bradley just continues to start. I think that'll eventually switch. I'm not sure when. I think Reeves will eventually take that over. But the main point here is like this is a brand new team than even we started, than even when AD went out um, a couple weeks ago. So brand new team has to kind of get reps here. I think Russell Westbrook is getting a little bit more and more comfortable with his role every game. I think we've kind of decided that he's more. Even tonight, there wasn't much. Was there much Russ AD pick and roll tonight, Jason? I didn't notice very much. Did you? There hasn't been a ton of pick and roll with Russ this entire season. And, and you know, we, Vinay and I got into this a little bit the other night. I think there's, there's a couple of different potential explanations. Part of it has to do, I think, with the fact that teams are starting to put bigger defenders on Russ. And yeah, so, so by, they can switch it. So they can mm-hmm. just switch it. Like, yeah. and, and again, like there's just no point in running a pick and roll, you know, if it's not going to gain any advantage other than a switch, unless that switch is one that compromises the defense, you know? And For so sure. I think, I think that's part of it, but some of it too is like, they just, I don't know. I, I, I don't, uh, for whatever reason they have it, Ross, I, I don't know. No, yeah. No, no, they've I, completely I like get more of a chance to do. Well, that, this isn't just, know? well, this isn't in, this just isn't tonight. It's been happening even when LeBron's on the floor, when LeBron is on or off the floor, like even tonight we did more just horns action and then run it off. Like Malik Monk coming off the screen and Russell Westbrook would kind of flow into the corner. So it's interesting. I think Russ is still attacking the rim. I thought he found guys for jump shots tonight that didn't work. He had some nice drives tonight. Like, they threw Matisse Thybul on him, and that's not a guy you want Russ really attacking in isolation. But I thought in transition, he got to the rim on him and finished at the basket. But, yeah, it's been it's been wild to kind of watch them move more and more off of that uh, in action we thought would be so, you know, vital to our team. The Russ AD screen roll just hasn't materialized at all, and AD has been out for a lot of that. But even these last two games, I haven't seen much of it. So it's interesting to watch kind of the team move to more other ball handlers and even LeBron's on the floor and the rust fit still will be something that has to get worked out as, as the season goes, but hopefully, you know, we can kind of build on whatever we on the Brooklyn win and get LeBron back tomorrow and just get, you know, some more reps, man, 16 games between our big three just isn't enough, especially with these other teams coming in already with a super head start and continuity. You go to Phoenix, you go to golden state having their core um, intact for all these years. So, Hopefully there's something we can build from here. But, yeah, it's interesting. We moved to a brand new kind of younger, more youth-infused team. THT, I think, 22. Austin Reeves, 22. Stanley Johnson, 25. Um, all just super young guys. Malik Monk, 23. And that's just not what you thought to start the season. So hopefully they can kind of build a little rhythm here uh, on this road trip. Yeah, so it's it's funny because one of the things that I think is a more realistic outcome or goal from the trade deadline, because we've talked – the trade deadline has been kind of a nonstop discussion among Laker fans over the course of the last week, whether it surrounds yeah. Russ or it surrounds Jeremy Grant. And I've talked Russ literally to death over the course of the last week. So I'm not <laughs> going to go there again. I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of coming to terms with the fact that he's going to be around. I, I personally think it's a mistake. I've laid that out at like at length on this podcast, so I don't need to get into it again, but understanding that he's going to be here you know, there are still opportunities to make these improvements. And we talked about slotting a lot having to do with Anthony Davis and just how having him on the floor makes everybody's defensive responsibilities easier, which just makes everything more achievable. Right. Well, I think, I think a lot could be gained there by accomplishing some better slotting at the two guard position. So this is where like uh, someone like an Eric, uh, like an Eric Gordon or Terrence Ross, these are our, our guy Vinay pointed these out on, on Twitter earlier. And these are two, 
perfect examples of just what we're talking about. Guys that are like, they're just better two guards than Avery Bradley. Are they, are they championship level starters? I, I don't know. Are they still capable of doing the things they could do, you know, at their absolute peaks? I, I don't know. But are they better than Avery Bradley? Yes. So mm-hmm. Living in a situation where we're upgrading that specific position just slots everybody a little better. All of a sudden, now Avery Bradley's coming off the bench instead of running with all your most important lineups. All of a sudden, now maybe THT can take some of those Avery Bradley minutes away. Now we're just bigger in general. Now we can do more switching and a little bit less of our chase over the top. Frank uh, Vogel had a pregame interview, I think, before the game uh, earlier this week having to do with uh, like, hey, I've come to terms with the fact that with our personnel, we're a little bit more of a switch team than we are what I've been, which is something that like literally Raj to hear that it was like, like, Oh my goodness. We're damn near game 50 here. And we're finally coming to terms with what kind of basketball team we are, you know, but the, the bottom line is, is that bringing in a, a reason of like, cause if you look at our starting group now and you're looking at Russell Westbrook, which, uh, you know, by like, you know, very, uh, um, you know, he's a, he's, he's a very like polarizing person, but he's there like it or not. And then you have LeBron and Anthony Davis. Well, Stanley Johnson slots into that three spot and it works. Like it just works. He plays so hard to start the game. He takes the most difficult defensive matchup. He, it, it brings this level of athleticism that I've been pleading for with the Jeremy Grant trade where it's like, Oh man, you have Jeremy Grant, LeBron, and Anthony Davis in the front court. That's just a devastating athletic defensive front court. Well, Stanley Johnson kind of accomplishes the same thing. I, I, I don't think he's quite the defender that Jeremy Grant is, but he's in that same archetype, right? So, mm-hmm. but then then there's this two guard spot, and our two guard is is not Seth Curry. You know, it's not like a league average to slightly above league average starting two guard. He's probably one of the worst starting two guards in the league. Doesn't mean he's not an NBA player. Doesn't mean he doesn't belong in the rotation. It's just, he's underqualified for that position. So bringing in somebody like a Terrence Ross, like a Eric Gordon, somebody in that vein, just a bona fide like NBA two guard that can do the things that this team needs that from that position, I think would go a long way towards uh, and, and as much as I like because Kendrick Nunn is where a lot of people are going to go there and why I don't while I don't disagree with the fact that Kendrick Nunn is a viable option at that position this just kind of goes back to our small ball concept Raj like I, I don't think we need to replace a 6-2 guy with a 6-2 guy like I think mm-hmm. I think we need to try to 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 have that aggregate size of the lineup be big because that's where you get that you know if it's if it's Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon, Stanley Johnson, LeBron, Anthony Davis, you can switch every screen in that lineup because both Russ and Eric Gordon are so strong that they can hold their own in post mismatches. So I, I just would like to see them upgrade that position. I think that's super achievable. I don't think that's a pie in the sky idea. It's not like oh, it's Jeremy Grant. We're arguing about trade value. No, this is a realistic on the table option to upgrade the roster that very clearly makes us better, fixes our greatest weakness in the starting lineup, slots everybody a little bit better. And I think just makes us a better team. Yeah. And look, I think that player's on the team, Jason, like I would just, and probably maybe Austin Reeves. Yes. I, you know, I, maybe cause he's a rookie, you know, that, that they don't want to go there yet. I understand that. But, and the Caruso arc is just hilarious to watch. And I, I've, 
hated you know comparing those two but just the arc in terms of how they've kind of came up i guess in the rotation is almost like deja vu but yeah i think we have a better two guard currently sitting on the team like i think austin reeves is already closing games he's already like leading our fourth quarter minutes again that's a caruso thing that i was following <laughs> before caruso eventually took over that you know rotation in the fourth in the bubble and all that stuff but yeah austin reeves is already kind of you know winning the fourth quarter minutes he's already closing games like i think that's the eventual lead here if you can't get a trade obviously there are trade you know partners out there i'm not a guy that really likes to go in the trade machine but and jeremy grant would be my wish i think you know you see stanley johnson do this imagine a guy you know like jeremy grant who has all the uh all the physical tools who has all the skills to match with that i think that would be amazing but i think that guy's on the team already i think that's the last kind of piece to kind of the piece of the puzzle here to you know fulfill the starting lineup's full potential there Avery bradley's not Everybody's not just undersized. He's undersized for the he's undersized for the point guard position. Yeah, let, he's let, undersized let alone, compared to point guards. <laughs> yeah, let alone the two guard position. And we've kind of got you know in nauseum of like why Frank Vogel starts him. I think a lot of it also is the roster has flipped three times. You know, like it's nice to have a guy that was there through the t- through the trenches with you, even though he didn't go in the bubble, but he was there for that full season, that successful season. He does a you know a good point of attack defense on drop coverage, yada yada yada. But yeah, I, I understand why. But I think that's the eventual lead here. And maybe you know Frank Vogel doesn't really care who starts. It's about who finishes to him. Maybe I that really hasn't matched up with the numbers. Mm-hmm. But you know Reeves is starting to pick up in the fourth quarter, and I think that's. That's where you can go. Justin Holiday, I think I think that's his name on, on the Pacers has been rumored as well that would, the Pacers would go would let him go for like two seconds or something like that. There's mm-hmm. players out there to kind of upgrade our athleticism. Uh, but yeah, that would be the eventual kind of in-house move to me. He just fits so well, Jason. Like you watch these games and like he doesn't play like a rookie. You know, he gels so well. He's kind of a connector with both of those guys. He plays so well next to LeBron. I've already seen him kind of gain chemistry with AD. I think he's thrown AD like five logs in the last two games. Like, just mm-hmm. in the last two games, he's already hit AD with, like, five logs, which is, you know, it's nice to see a rookie be able to read the floor like he does. So that's my eventual move here. Reeves isn't tall either. I think he's, like, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he's going tall from, enough. Tall enough, yeah. And he's, and he's a legit good defender. He's not a good defender for a rookie. Like, he's a legit good defender. He knows angles. I think he lead, he's a leader in the league in charges and, and stuff like that. So just a guy I think I would kind of fill in. I understand why he's not starting, but that's my eventual kind of role here to kind of Pick, uh, put the pieces together in that starting lineup. I think everybody's the final kind of uh, older veteran uh, guy that will eventually kind of move out from there. But we'll see if that happens. Mm-hmm. So the last item on our list was Stanley Johnson. And we, Raj and I both wanted to to talk yeah. about Stan for a minute because he's earned something that is really cool. Um, he was out of the league and he scratched and clawed his way back in and found an opportunity. Now, I've, I've, I've told a shorter version of this story on the show, but I – Grew up in Tucson, and Stanley was recruited to the University of Arizona, and um, I got to compete with him a lot while he was here. And I remember just liking the guy. He was just a nice guy. And, like, he was very enthusiastic and energetic. He was thrown into a very difficult situation. Sean Miller is a is a very demanding coach, and Sean Miller was very hard on Stanley while he was there and did a lot to try to, you know, because Stanley was a, he was a high school star. You know, he was – literally one of those YouTube stars as we've talked about uh, here on the show. And, and, you know, I Mm -hmm. just, to see his development from, you know, getting into like having some struggles at Arizona, not quite performing to the level that he thought he would, but then still being a lottery pick because of his athletic potential, but then having some struggles as things didn't quite work out to the Masai Ujiri thing where he allegedly looked Stanley in the face and said, you're bad at basketball to him becoming like, you know, I think 
I think just from I've watched him throughout his career because I've always been a fan of him just as a person. And he's better at ball handling and shooting now than he used to be. You know, he just looks mm-hmm. more he looks more comfortable. He's more committed to the dirty work. He's he's thoroughly embraced what his role is to succeed in the NBA. And it's manifested in him getting uh, to your contract. And I just all I wanted to say was that I'm super stoked about it. I can just say, you know, as someone covering the Lakers, just like you, Raj, I'm very excited that I get to cover him for the rest of the season. And I'm rooting for him and I'm happy he's on the team. Yeah, me too. He has a fearlessness about him, which I think is important when you play next to superstars. Like he, and he understands his role as well in that. But I think I just love like he'll get a rebound. And even if it's like AD or Rust or LeBron looking for the out, outlet pass, he'll just be like, I'm a big 6'9 six, six, dude with ball handling ability. Like, let me just go down the lane, you know, to gather, get up, get up a shot at the rim. I think he drew a foul on Embiid, I guess, on one play tonight. He just has a fearlessness that I think is important playing next to those guys. And it's not like a direct comp but it reminds me a little bit of kuzma as well that you know irrational confidence he's not you know the shooter that kuzes or whatever but or the floor spacer but just a guy that also takes shots uh he doesn't pass up open threes which i think is another like domino effect that's important to me he's a guy that takes the open corner three when it's there i think he's hitting at a high percentage but even if not i think that's just important it has a domino effect on your game on your confidence uh at least to him attacking the basket he's had a bunch of shots you know in four quarters big time plays um i think he's important for this team I think he's going to be in closing lineups more than people realize. I don't know if you would agree with I that. I think so too, like, Raj. Like even in the playoffs. I know that's crazy for a guy whose deal isn't even guaranteed for next year. It's a team option. But I just think that fits, man. Just a super agile, athletic wing. Uh, he's he's like looking like a younger Trevor Ariza who's a little bit more bulked up. Like just a guy that can run the floor. And I think he's... I think he doesn't get credit for how smart of a defender he's, he is, too. Like, obviously, he plays hard, and that's a skill and all of that stuff. But I think he's also, like, a smart defender. He understands angles. You watch him against James Harden, and he knew, like, the scouting report. He knew, like, where to shade him, how to, like, if James Harden uh, drives re- right, he's going to go to the rim. If he goes left, he likes to step back jumper. Like, he like he knows all that kind of stuff, and, and he works that to his advantage. I actually liked him on switches against Joel Embiid tonight. Like, mm-hmm. I like that AD and Stanley can kind of switch 4-5. And if you have Stanley, LeBron, and AD, you can switch three, four, five. You add Jeremy Grant to that, you can switch two through five, and Russ can handle some physical matchups as well. Like I think that's the idea for this team to go back to winning the battle athletically. And I think Stanley's a huge part of that. And I know that again, that sounds crazy for a guy who's guaranteed, who's not guaranteed, but still, I just think he fits this team. You add his ball handling ability, ability to attack the rim, the fearlessness to play. I think he's a big part of uh, us going forward. Yeah, there's a handful of things that he does really, really well that have given him a, a spot, right? Like, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just that he's big and athletic. Because as we've seen, there are guys who are big and like Dwight, like DeAndre Jordan, for instance. DeAndre Jordan is definitely declined massively athletically from where he is, but he is still physically capable of doing some of that job. He's just not willing to do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the Stan- motor's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Stanley has that. And there, there are three important things that he does that I think translate really well at this level. First of all, he applies consistent ball pressure. Now, this is something with Avery Bradley that, um, you know, is it's the only thing Avery Bradley does. That's kind of one of my, you know, uh, criticisms of him is he applies ball pressure, but he can't really impact the defensive end anywhere else. Stanley can mm-hmm. apply ball pressure and do other things, but ball pressure is important because it makes a ball handler feel uncomfortable. It makes them do something they don't want to do. You know, it's the, it's that classic concept of the, the Kevin Durant has he pull up jump shot 
that he made over LeBron in the NBA finals. Like if you apply just a little bit of ball pressure as he's coming across half court, he just won't take that shot because that's not what the read is that you're going to force him to all of a sudden drive into the teeth of a defense when he's not really necessarily wanting to do that. Like you're, uh, just even for me as a basketball player, I'm at my most comfort playing pickup when I'm comfortably on the perimeter, just manipulating the basketball, getting to where I want to go. If you apply ball pressure to me, it forces me to do something I don't want to do. That translates at every level of basketball. And that is, it's like with James Harden. It's not that he stopped James Harden. Of course he didn't stop James Harden. He didn't Mm -hmm. stop James Harden on Christmas day either. But what he did is he made James Harden play faster than he wanted to play which fatigued him over the course of the game and made things just more difficult than they needed to be. The second thing is just this ability with his low center of gravity to attack the basket, even when he doesn't necessarily have a size advantage. So from what we've heard, according to Stanley, this came from LeBron. So apparently LeBron has advocated for him with him privately, like, Hey dude, attack the basket. If you see an angle, put the ball on the ground, try to get to the rim. That's that will help our team. And uh, you can tell over the course of this last four or five games, like when he sees an opportunity, he goes, yeah, <laughs> he, tried, right. he, tried, he tries to get there. And then the last thing is he's actually a very good finisher. And this is a underrated, difficult basketball ability because it's not easy to work on guys. Like when you go to the gym, it's hard to work on finishing because it's boring. Like who's going to Sit, like just perpetually drive to the basket and take difficult layups. Like it's diff- It's much easier to work on a jump shot or to work on dunking or to work on your handle because all those things are just easy to work on in the flow of a workout. It's difficult to build the t- like Kyrie Irving, for instance, I've always been so fascinated just with how long it must've taken for him to become so gifted finishing around the basket. And Stanley is an above average finisher when he gets around the rim and he gets a little bit of an angle, he's probably going to make it. And so that's another one of those really high-end NBA skills that he has. So that ability to attack the rim, that ability to finish when he gets there, and that consistent ball pressure motor, those three things have made him kind of an indispensable part of this yeah. team. And, and, I, and I, just, I just think it's really impressive. And like I said, I'm just happy to have him on the team. Yeah, me too. He's earned that two-year deal, you know, or one year plus the team option. Like he's earned every penny of that, and hopefully he's on the team next year as well. But yeah, man, and he also like he gives that assignment. He can take the defensive assignment. That's what Trevor Ariza was supposed to be, and obviously Trevor doesn't look like he can fulfill that. Stanley also like he picks up guys full court, and he can keep up that energy. And I think that's just something this team sorely needed. Um, he just has a physicality to him as well that's important when you're playing next to lebron and ad those three are just physically are guys that can just dominate physically and i think that's important i think that's the kind of identity that this team is going for and it's crazy man a a guy that wasn't on the roster you know like four weeks ago um is now such an important key cog that's kind of what that's kind of what we figured out and that's what a season is for to kind of figure out where you know where to plug your holes from and to find you know weaknesses that you have this was kind of a godsend right he he you know flies into your g league and you're able to find him and, and bring him up that way um and he's able to earn a spot so it's good it's great i'm glad they didn't like wait till the trade deadline or something to keep mm-hmm. him um and so it's just good process man this is what good organizations do they find players like this and they keep them they extend you lock them. them down you lock them down yeah exactly and so it's great for stanley great for the team and i think both of us believe he's going to be a big part of this rotation and he competes man he's a competitive dude 
Like, again, like not even just against Harden on Christmas, Harden, you know, the other night, Joel Embiid tonight just makes guys work. You, you talked about the low center of gravity. Guys can't like push him backwards. He gets a lot of steals where guys try to, you know, physically go into him and he just doesn't move and he just dude, grabs the dude, ball out he's, of their hands. He's 245 pounds. Like, okay, I'm 220 at 6'6", and that's big for 6'6". Like most taller guys I meet are usually right around like 200 pounds. He is literally a refrigerator that move that moves like a wide receiver like that that is a massive human being yeah exactly and you put that next to lebron and you t- put that next to ad he looks small right you have them next to mm. those two you look small but he's a huge dude and i think that's you know so key for this team man and just a guy who plays freaking hard and can defend and uh takes takes the right shots doesn't you know never will ask for a possession will never try to you know break the offensive flow he's a good closeout attacker as well i think he has passing ability that we've you know talked about on this podcast as well he can find dudes he can find dudes off the dribble so it's just important man to have this kind of guy on the team and it's a godsend to to find it in the middle of the year you don't usually find guys like that so i'm, I'm glad he's on the team man i'm glad he's locked in for the full year locked that in team option year. is huge because yeah. like it gives us the flexibility. That's the thing is like, like, and for, from Stanley's angle, it's easy. It's like, I want to stay in the league, <laughs> you know, right, yeah. but, but from the Lakers angle, it's like, Hey, like you have this guaranteed low salary player that can play a big role, possibly start for you coming in next year. That's yeah, a huge, that's, that's, a, that's a huge deal. Exactly. I'm shocked that they were able to get, you know, a team option. I think he's played well enough where he could have probably just earned the, the full, uh, full next year, but you know, they're, they're lucky to get that. And I think, He's going to be a big part of this team going forward. And he fits. Looks like LeBron has really, you know, liked him. He, he's, he got his first game next to AD last time. Uh, is, all right, tonight was his second game next to AD. So hopefully those dudes can build a rhythm too as we go forward. I think the team option thing, because you're right, I think he played himself into a situation where he had the leverage to probably just keep it yeah. as a deal to the end of the season or even a player option, right? But mm-hmm. the the thing is, is I think I think Stan wants to be a Laker. And that's the other, that's the other really cool part about this. I think he's really happy here. I mean, he's an LA guy and, and he, you know, I think he was, I think he was playing with the G league squad here before he even signed that deal. Like, I think he's just happy here. I think he loves his role. This is honestly, I think, I think this, I've watched him a lot in Detroit and I watched him a lot in Toronto. This, it feels like in Detroit, he had moments where they leaned on him a lot and he got to be more aggressive. This, it seems to me where he's the most comfortable here. In terms yep. of just like at peace with his role, knows what the team needs from him every night. There's, you know, even if he has a poor shooting night, like it doesn't matter because he has these other responsibilities. Like I just, I'm, I'm happy with him. But anyway, is there anything else on your list that you wanted to hit before we called it a night? Uh, no, I think that's it, man. Hopefully LeBron plays tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back at it tomorrow again. But yeah, hopefully we can kind of build something here, man. Uh, we're, we, keep, we keep building this house and then we have to stop. Uh, for like a few days with like no roof on its head you know i've made that analogy before so it's like raining and we're like man we have no clue what's happening in this house so hopefully we can kind of build build a little bit more tomorrow dude how incredible was it when you watched the film of that miami game just to see lebron and anthony davis on the floor even though i didn't like the avery bradley piece like just <laughs> right. to, ju- just to have like lebron ad stanley johnson on the floor it's just like it's like physically imposing just like when you see them out there and they're running around you're like whoa like it had to have felt good to see that no it felt amazing man watching that watching that game over watching the replay of it seeing ad on the floor man it's just you take for granted what he does out there just having a guy who can move like that who's athletic you pair that next to lebron who looked at his peak physically and then russell westbrook uh, being able to attack the rim off of those two's you know attention it just it looked like it was working man it looked right it looked like what the team is supposed to be Mm-hmm. 
All right, guys, uh, this is going to be on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We will be going live for the postgame show tomorrow in Charlotte right after the final buzzer, hopefully with both LeBron and Anthony Davis playing. But regardless, Raj and I will be here. As always, we appreciate your guys' support, and we will see you tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.